0: Well, guys, I had the recent experience of watching the Galactic 2 uh, with Will Sharman. We went out there for two days, uh, saw the entire site, and then watched uh, the historic launch for Virgin Galactic, uh, which was mind blowing. It was mind blowing. And uh, while secretly jealous of the crew that went up, uh, was wildly happy to cheer them on and watch them come back to, uh, to space, or I'm sorry, to Earth uh safely. But today I've got uh Christopher Yui, Uh for short, Chewy. Uh of course, with that that name that was gonna happen. Um Chewy man, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Mike. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here.
0: Well Chewy, uh first off, um why don't you tell us your title at uh Virgin Galactic and then I, I would love to get in your backstory because I mean it is the American dream immigrant from uh Jamaica. Uh her parents uh, I love I love how far you've come and how how hard you've worked to achieve what you've achieved.
1: Thank you, I appreciate that. Yeah, so my my current uh, what I've been doing at Virgin Galactic for about the past six or seven years has been uh, loads engineering, so in our flight sciences engineering department, and so in that discipline, I've been responsible for uh, essentially figuring out how strong to build the spaceship and the mothership and understanding all the technical analysis and bridging the gap between how the vehicle flies and then how you build the vehicle. And so that's what I've been doing for most of my career at Virgin. I built the team. I was the third hire um, on the loads team and I built the team to about 12 people today. So I've done everything from, you know, hand calculations and engineering to running models to uh, leadership and management to building a team and, uh, now I've actually progressed a little bit in my career. I've moved on to the corporate strategy team, but most of my my background has been in hardcore analysis and engineering as an aerospace engineer.
0: What Chewy, tell me this. I mean, you guys have a vessel that gets to space safely, comes down safely. How I mean, are you guys continually trying to evolve the uh, the craft, make it stronger, make it better, make it more modular, faster, uh, or or do you guys once once you've got a, a good prototype, hey, we're good until, I guess something requires us to look at it.
1: Sure. Yeah. So we've, we've built a couple of vehicles throughout the lifespan of the company, and we're currently flying our, our first vehicle that went to space VSS unity. And uh, I think we're about to do what our 28th rocket or 28th flight coming up soon. Um, Yeah, so it's all about iteration, you know, engineering, you design, build, fly, and then iterate. And so we did that for several years, you know, I hired on in 2016. And my job was to get the spaceship structurally ready for rocket powered flight, and eventually space. And uh, we did that, you know, we, we overcame many challenges and, you know, tweaked the vehicle here and there, as we learned more and more about it. And then eventually you get to a point where you've you've completed the mission and you have a product and a, and a and a vehicle that does what you need it to do. And so the next step is making it economical. And that's probably one of the biggest challenges of all aerospace companies, but especially space aerospace companies, is solving all the technical challenges for one, which there are many, and yeah. then figuring out how to do it economically. So we've, we've gone through the first part of that where we've solved um, pretty much all of the technical challenges. And then... The next is how do we do that economically and at scale as a commercial venture, and that's you know kind of unprecedented. Most of uh, human spaceflight has been sponsored by governments, and so you know doing that in a way that's commercially viable is the next challenge. Where you have to keep your costs as low as practical while also generating a decent amount of revenue to fund fund it.
0: It it, it is a business at the at uh, the end of the day, and, and to, to to drive more impact, yes, you you want to be at a profit. Let me ask you this: Have you guys figured out the sort of life cycle? of the VSS unity? Is it, is it like 40 trips or is that still unknown? Um,
1: you know, we've, we've done the engineering and we're still, uh, working that out. We'll, um, uh, we'll continue to assess that as we continue mm-hmm. to fly the vehicle. But what's coming next is, you know, VSS Unity is our current vehicle. And the next thing we're designing the, what we call the Delta class of spaceships. And that will be where we really scale things up and, and really change the, the course of history. We hope and, and send a lot more people to space. The design goal for that vehicle is to send four or to do 400 flights per year per spaceport, which comes out to, you know, hundreds, high hundreds, low thousands, number of people going to space every year.
0: What's the capacity on the the VSS Unity right now in terms of uh, pilots and then passengers?
1: So Unity has two pilots. Uh, All Mm -hmm. the spaceships have two pilots. We're a piloted system. And then Unity has the capability to fly four four people in the back to space. Um, But in the future, we will be able to fly six on the Delta-class spaceship. So eight mm. people in space total when we get to the future class. But right now uh, we've got four people in the back going to
0: space every time. You said piloted vessel. I've got to assume that autonomous uh, vessels are being played with either by you guys or NASA.
1: There's been a lot of automation and, and uh, you know, computer uh, interf, you know, support in in a lot of aerospace vehicles, you know, even in your commercial airliners today, most of your flights are piloted by an autopilot and the, you know, your human pilot will take over during the high risk portions of the flight, Mm. like uh, take off and landing, although they are capable of taking off and landing, you know, most military vehicles can fly themselves, but we feel much more comfortable with a person in there to handle lots of, uh, you know, unexpected situations. But I think where the Virgin Galactic space flight system differs is we truly rely and depend on the experience of, uh, of flight pilot, flight test pilots. And so we have some of the best trained pilots in the world. Um, on my particular flight, we had uh, uh, Such and CJ. And uh, Such has flown the, uh, the U-2, <laughs> uh, a bunch of other jets, F-16, and CJ's commanded the space shuttle several times so you know we've got world class pilots who really can handle most pretty much any situation that comes at them and we're benefiting from that
0: experience dude the, the sense i got being at uh at your compound at uh, the spaceport was everyone is highly competent best in the world and like outrageously like positive it's it's got to be a great environment to work, work I, I work at and when you guys get a challenge, people must smile rather than, you know, they crawl into a hole based off fear.
1: Yeah, you have to. I mean, every every day, every minute, there's a new challenge. You know, when you're on the cutting edge of what's been done, not only in business but in aerospace and space, everything you do has never been done before. And so, it's a, it's an excellent bunch of people who we we borrow from all sorts of industries. I remember when I first came onto the company, I was. I was really apprehensive. My experiences on rotorcraft. So that's what got me passionate and, ex- and interested in aerospace. I was like, I think helicopters are cool. Like flying zero miles an hour is just kind of trippy and then flying backwards or sideways anywhere you want to fly. And I thought that was really cool. And so I spent uh, just over five years designing helicopters, both at uh, Bell Helicopter, now Bell Flight and Sikorsky. So I've had a, a little bit of experience on several of those vehicles out there, but I didn't think I was qualified to come work on spaceships and and you know the mothership because my background in rotorcraft just seemed so far fetched, but turns out that you know Isaac Newton's plot, uh, laws of physics are still the same and the basic principles are there and so there's a lot of challenges to solve and everyone comes from a bunch of different industries uh, to come through and do it.
0: Yeah, the 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 benefits of a, a of a diverse team with uh, different backgrounds he's bringing a strength, uh, and of course supplementing the, uh, the weaknesses. So Chewy, you are the 19th, uh, you know, um, black, uh, American, uh, to, to, to make it to space. Is that correct? As far as I know. Yeah. How does that feel, man?
1: It's, it's an interesting like record to hold. It's when I first learned about that, I was honestly pretty, I was surprised and not surprised. I mean, you're like, wow, me? I, I'm, you know, top twenty or first twenty people um, of color to space, but, uh, yeah, I think that's kind of the, one of the things that inspires me to do what we're doing is to make space flight common, not only for all people, but to really bring more diverse uh, diversity to the human spaceflight industry and show that you know anyone can do this, and uh, you just got to put your head down and do the work do the and work. listen to listen to your mentors, surround yourself with good people, make good decisions. Um, But yeah, it was really humbling to know that and and an honor to kind of hold that mantle, but surprising that, you know, even in this modern time of 2023, those are the types of records we're still breaking.
0: Have you received any notes, uh, which social media, somebody saying, Hey, thank you for, for, for doing what you do. And you've given me hope to, to break into this industry.
1: I I have. What's been really touching is just all of the stories I've heard from children and, you know, parents who are inspiring their kids. I, uh, you know, lots of people that I've known throughout my life have reached out and saying, you know, my son watched the launch or my daughter watched the launch and uh, they didn't really know much about space or they knew a lot about space. And uh, they were really excited to just kind of have that connection. Like someone I know went to space and to me, that becomes possible because it's someone I know went to space. And so just even the proximity of people who are doing big things already starts to lower the, the roadblocks of what you think is, is possible. So it's been really touching to see how many people have reached out.
0: You know, that's, that's insane to think that you can impact somebody's life who you've never met and, and drive them, give them a goal from, from being a child on to 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 accomplish or reach the feats that you have and hopefully go beyond what you achieved, I mean that's the whole point is that the next generation drives us further um, with that said i I do want to get into your background so were, were you born in the u s or, or born in Jamaica and immigrated?
1: I was born in the u s both okay. of my parents were born in Jamaica and, and
0: immigrated what, what, what your childhood where did you grow up what What was that like?
1: I grew up in Florida, Orlando, Florida. So, mm-hmm. you know, shout out to O town. Um, but yeah, I was raised by a single mom, uh, Grace Huey. She's uh, a rock star and and really sacrificed a lot. And I don't think I really recognized how much she was truly sacrificing until I really became an adult. Maybe the last like five or ten years, when you know, I just had my first kid last year, and that's really put a lot more into perspective mm. as to you know, how much it takes and to do this alone. (laughs) I don't know how, how anybody raises a child alone, having done it, you know, I'm married for three years now, but yeah, yeah.
0: that's that's what I call a warrior. That's, that's awesome. That she, she sacrificed to, to provide you with, uh, with opportunity.
1: Yeah. It's, it's really, I'm astounded by her. She's so strong and, and, uh, passionate and very, very supportive. You know, I think there's a lot of parents out there who, uh, there's kind of a spectrum who either have no vision for their ch- children or have a very specific vision for their children, and my mom was just uh, just supportive, just you know unabashedly supportive of whatever I wanted to do, and she really supported me when I said I wanted to do aerospace, very very far out from anything that anyone in my family had ever done. You know, very few people in my family have gone to college. Uh, certainly, no one's delved into the highly technical disciplines. I had no like close relationships of anyone who'd become an engineer or had done anything in a highly technical industry certainly not in my family so in a lot of ways i was blazing a new trail and you know i, I recognized that education was really the the major value that i had that she sacrificed for that put my life on a completely different trajectory and uh, that's one of the things i'm passionate about today cuz you know statistically as a as a black man raised by a single mom you know my my life should not have turned out as well as it did. right? And so uh, I'm very fortunate for the upbringing that my mom provided and the sacrifice she did to put me through great schools and and to just put me in a really supportive environment that allowed me to pursue the things that I've always wanted to do.
0: Well, first, congrats on, uh, on the child. I, I call that when life starts to get real, uh, and it does change <laughs> perspectives. So with your mom, you said supportive, but did she hold a high bar for you? I mean, did she push?
1: Oh, sure. Yeah, she pushed. And uh, she wanted me to kind of achieve at the level that I wanted to. So I think she instilled, she planted the seed of high achievement. But after that, I think I was my own biggest critic, and she had to be the one to uh, let me know it was okay not to, you know, be perfect. Or, um, you know, she'd catch me when I would fall, and you know, uh, bring me
0: back up when I was disappointed when I didn't achieve the things that I thought I needed. What? So did did you? When did you realize you had a, a love for flight that, that you knew that was, that was your calling?
1: You know, I think as maybe, you know, some of the hardships you face in life end up, you can spin into opportunities or they just inspire you in different ways. So I mentioned my parents were divorced when I was young and, uh, my dad lived in New York and my mom lived in Florida. And so custody arrangement and during summers and some school breaks, I would fly to florida or fly from florida to new york to see my dad and spend my summers up there and i always flew delta and every time i flew i'd get to see the cockpit i was like i was the unaccompanied minor and uh you know the flight attendants would take you to the cockpit get you meet you'd get to meet the pilots and i think that's probably where the the first seed was was planted and just having the opportunity to fly frequently as a young child, by myself, no less. Uh, that and Star Trek. That's probably my biggest. Experience.
0: Uh, hey, what, yeah, that that's that's a, that's a no-brainer. But that that was our generation. Um, so you do you you've you've made it a point to, and I'm I'm gonna read this. Uh, you become the co-founder and spokesperson for Virgin Galactic's Black Leadership in Aerospace Scholarship and Training, known as the Blast Program. So you founded that. You came up with the 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 concept and drove that within uh, Virgin Virgin Galactic.
1: I did. Yeah. You know, 2020 was a was a crazy year for everybody. And, um, you know, with the the murder of George Floyd and then the protests that ensued after, you know, it really got to thinking, what could I do? What can I do as an individual? And I think in moments like that, it's easy to feel helpless or that your small contribution can't make a difference. But that's that hasn't really been anything that's deterred me. You know, you always do the work and go forward and see what you can do and, and see what comes out of it. And so I had some conversations with our CEO at the time. And actually, my sister reminded me that this has always been kind of a bucket list goal for me is to start a scholarship. You know, I've mentioned that education has been such a profound change in my life. And so it's always been the thing that I wanted to do to try and give back when opportunity came, whether or not I was able to find that opportunity or create that opportunity. And it just so happens that the stars aligned through, uh, through the years of 2020 that really inspired me to, to make this come to life.
0: What what impact is the blast program having right now? Are you guys trying to expand that?
1: We're uh, we're growing it here and there where it makes sense to do. So, mm-hmm. you know the the blast program it's kind of like five major pillars. It's you've got uh, uh, fellowship, leadership, mentorship, internship, and then we also teach financial intelligence. And mm-hmm. we, my engineering background and brain, when it comes up to finding a solution, you know, you start with the problem and then try and you don't even start to design the solution until you understand the problem. And so I did a lot of research, and you know, went to my own background to really understand what what this scholarship or what this program needed to be in order to be successful. And so I went into my own background, and you know, obviously, uh, socioeconomic status and education mm-hmm. and and racial equity all kind of play together. And so um, the Blast program was was designed with intention to solve a specific problem. And it's it's definitely playing the long game, right? So we're looking at creating leaders. You know, right now we've got uh, we're trying to put about ten students through the program each year, and as they matriculate out, we'll bring more students in. So we're not trying to grow faster than we can handle. It's really about quality over yes. quantity, because we're expecting you know five, 10, 15 years down the line, the students that go through the BLAST program will will be leading, you know, teams major budgets, hopefully companies or organizations where they can make impactful change to uh, at a high enough level that can actually make a big difference uh, when integrated over time. Yeah, that's
0: probably the biggest or the hardest uh, thing for you guys. I know it is for me is you want to grow quickly. But if you grow quickly without a solid foundation, then the, then the program, uh, the quality goes down. Uh, I commend you for for having the patience to, to do it right.
1: Yeah, I think... Some people sometimes ask me like, hey, Chewy, Chris, what's the what are the secret to your success? And I think at a young age, I really learned and appreciated delayed gratification. And so I'm I'm the person who's happy to like save my dessert afterwards because I just love the anticipation of, of leading up to it. I save my favorite bite of food on the plate, you know? And so I think this is just a grander scale of delayed gratification because I know when we finally cash that check at the end of the day, you can look back and just see uh just the amazing, amazing impact that hopefully this program has had.
0: I, I'm assuming you, you know about the marshmallow experiment, at Stanford. I do. Yeah. I, I probably would have closed out that, <laughs> that research center. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I want to talk about galactic too. Cause I mean, you guys, and I'm looking at Richard Branson's uh, social media here, you know, the several milestones, the first female astronauts from the Caribbean, first mother daughter duo to go to space, youngest person to go to space. And Anna's I, like, I, I got to take a picture with Anna. I was, I'm like, you're, you're, you're a warrior. You're my hero. Um, first Olympian to go to space. First majority female uh, space flight. And most women flown in a single space mission. Second person with Parkinson's to go to space. Third oldest person to go to space. And sixth and seventh black woman to go to space, man. that That's got to be a tremendous feeling, not only for you, but the entire team. What did Galactic Two mean to you?
1: It's the it's the culmination of decades of of work. You know, Virgin Galactic has been around since the mid two thousands, like two thousand four, two thousand five, mm-hmm. and so you know, millions of hours of work have gone into this project, and uh, the men and women who've made it come to life are absolutely incredible. But it's missions like this that are that really put a face to the work that you've done. You know. I had the opportunity to fly on uh, one of our missions, Unity Twenty Five, a couple months ago, and that was our last test flight. You know, really testing out the commercial service experience to make sure that it's ready for our customers and for our private astronaut flights. And so, you know, having experienced it firsthand, it it ends up being a, a beacon, a represent, a physical representation of the hard work that people have done uh, and worked through. But even more so, it's the impact that it's had on the world and just the ability to dream. And to and to break down barriers and, you know, there's we've set a lot of records recently and there's going to be more to come just because space flight has been so unattainable mm-hmm. and you know we're in this sh- fairly short period of time you know in 2020 was the first commercial launch of well you know of humans to orbit and then you know in a fairly short amount of time we're having a discrete amount of change at who's taking people to space and who is going to space. Um, You've got businesses and companies doing it, not just uh, governments, and so that's a pretty big shift. And you know, doing this as how we're doing it, it allows us to change the face and, and uh, change the qualifications of who's able to go to space and bring more accessibility. And yeah, I, I'm excited about it because we're only just getting started.
0: It's, I mean, it, you guys are democratizing spaceflight. I know it's still prohibitive cost-wise. But is is the eventual goal to make it economical for more human beings uh, in different demographics to actually be able to experience this on their own?
1: I I think that's definitely a long-term goal of of the company. You know, we went from pretty much no access to space to some access to space. So we're we're working to, you know, create more access. One of our values is space for all. And so, you know, this last flight was a really an epitome of what that looks like manifested. You know, all the records you just listed, you know, Parkinson's, Olympians, black women, most women, uh, just crazy records being broken and and you know, we've got many flights on the roster coming up. You know, we're gonna be around for a while and we're just gonna keep doing this. So yeah, it's it's impressive and it's really exciting. And I think
0: that's one of the things that really motivates the team. Outstanding, man. Well, I wanted to leave this for last. Like I said, you you've actually Tested. You actually went to space. Walk me through the most memorable moments for you, and just was I got I got to imagine it was a, it was a total blur by the time you you got down. You're like, what just happened? But walk me through sort of the sensations, and you've had time to reflect what it's meant to you and how it's changed your perspective on the world.
1: First and foremost, it's just absolutely an amazing experience. Uh, just so much excitement, a lot of tension and, and anticipation, you know, uh, relative to some of our customers who've been waiting, like on the order of like one to two decades for their flight, you can just imagine the amount of suspense and anticipation. You know, I didn't have to wait quite as long as some of our customers had, but the experience is just this amazing building anticipation. And then all of that anticipation gets released all, all at, at once. And so the, the training is pretty cool. You know, you arrive at spaceport a couple of days before the flight, and you go through your your training. I think the coolest part of training is the high G flight, where you get to you know see what you, how your body is going to react under uh, high forces of acceleration and all of that. And then, and then flight day comes, and you just can't help but pinch yourself at every moment. You're like, "Holy crap! Am I really doing this? Am I here? Is that our spaceship? Are they loading it with rocket fuel? Is that is everyone here? I uh, just send little old me to space." You know, it's, it's a pretty humbling experience just all together and the physical and mental preparation. And I think it's as much a, a mental and emotional experience as it is a physical and, and visceral one. And, you know, riding a rocket is pretty much what you expect. It's It feels like riding a rocket. <laughs> and I love the contrast of it, though, because you go from the most force, you know, you ride the rocket, you get pinned to the back of your seat and you have this amazing acceleration. And then as you look out the window, you see the window, you see the sky change from black or from blue to dark blue to black. And then out of the corner of your eye, you see out the window, you see the earth come into view. And you're acutely aware that you are not on the earth because you can see the earth. And so going from this high acceleration, high octane adventure, high adrenaline, to the rocket motor cuts off and then just pure silence and you're floating. And just the juxtaposition between those two events is pretty cool and, and mind-bottling. And and then you get to float free and weightless in the cabin, and you lose all sensation of your body because it doesn't matter Whatever it's there. It's, you're just a meat sack for a couple of minutes. <laughs> and you just become like, you just get sucked into the view of the earth. And it's the most majestic, calming, peaceful thing. Uh, I call it earth gazing. <laughs> Every time I type it out into Google, or into Microsoft Word, it's like, that's not a word. And I think that's a really—it uh, is now. <laughs> yeah, you know we have to, we have to invent new words, right, yes. to really describe uh, the next space flight. Actually, I have a—I wanted to share one thing. So uh, once we landed fr- uh, back to Earth after the space flight, you know the whole journey takes about ninety minutes. But once we landed back on the ground, uh, I was able to get one of my notebooks and I wrote down every word that came to mind just to try and capture the moment as best as I can. And so I'll show you real quick, just so you get a sense of just like the scatter of words <laughs> that, that came to the
0: page. But you, have, you are going to have to send us a picture of that. I, I, I want it up close. <laughs> if you're willing, if you're willing.
1: Sure. Yeah. I don't mind. It's uh, it says space. Wow. Ah, pure, gorgeous, beautiful, endless, serene, love, you know, precious, thin, shocking, and then possibly my favorite—holy fucking shit! You know, you know that was a pretty big one. And uh, I said something similar when the rocket when the rocket lit as well. It's it's an amazing experience that is highly memorable and it has a just impacts you in a way you can't really expect or anticipate. It was amazing.
0: Did Did you have an agenda of like when I'm in space, I'm going to identify this 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 spot of the uh, the Earth? either orlando did you have an agenda
1: oh it's so funny you asked that question i did so and i think it's a you know the spoiler alert is your perspective changes once you see the earth from space and so we launched out of new mexico at spaceport america and i before my flight i was studying the new mexico landscape so when i looked down i could you know out the features like white sands national park right next to white sands missile range and you know the colorado river and all these different geographical features and then when i got there i looked out the window and to my surprise i wasn't even looking down i was looking out i was just shocked at how far you could see like from the height of space you can see around the horizon or around earth and it really changed my perspective i here i was thinking i was going to be looking at fairly local geographical features not realizing that I was gonna see the planet on a global scale and so expectations were were not uh, attained but in the best ways it really surprised me
0: so did you have uh, a view of Antarctica in the in the in the North Pole <laughs> I mean did you pick no. this up or not not from the curvature no.
1: No, not from from where we were. So we we fly a suborbital trajectory. Yeah. So you have to be kind of at the right place at the right time to see you know whole different continents. So what was the furthest?
0: What uh, was the furthest continent you saw from uh, from up there?
1: You know, I wasn't sure which direction I was facing. That was kind of the one of the pickles. You're looking out the window, and you know there's clouds and you. Nothing really prepares you for the view you're going to see. And so trying to like orient, do orienteering from space as a novice, it it wasn't easy. But um, our pilots have told me in the past from flying from Spaceport America, they could see, you know, all the way into the Gulf of Mexico or past the Baja Mm. Peninsula into the Pacific. And so, you know, here I was looking, expecting to see New Mexico. And really, you can see the entire Western Americas.
0: (laughs) The the continental uh, US. Yeah. What what about reentry, man? I'd like. I think I'd love every part in reentry, just by nature of coming on the opposite axis and then eventually flipping over to the to the belly. Were you a little little nervous for reentry?
1: No, I don't think any part of it was. I was nervous about nerves. from like uh yeah. I mean, I'm. I was excited, and there was a lot of there were some nerves, but <clears throat> reentry wasn't any different than any of the other nerves. I'll say. Mm-hmm. It's It kind of feels like off-roading a little bit. You're just going over a bumpy road, like in a, in a car with maybe some stiff suspension. You're kind of jostling around a bit, but it's not uncomfortable. And I think the part that surprised me on re-entry is you know, just because you're coming back into the atmosphere, you're seated you know, you've got all your wits about you as best as you can, uh, but you can still look out the window and the view is absolutely tremendous. And so you're just looking at the window at the earth as you re-enter and then you kind of get sucked back in and you know it's almost like riding an elevator down on a tall building you feel like you're going down as you lose that perspective of the blackness of space yeah. and the sky curves yeah. back to blue and blue so it was a pretty cool experience reentry was was a lot of fun and and not unnerving it was just the kind of the punctuation point on, on an amazing experience
0: were there any tears please tell me there there had to be a <laughs> tear or two
1: uh I didn't, there were no tears in space at the time, but my crewmate, uh, one of my crewmates, uh, Jamila, she was there. And um, after the flight, we got back to the yeah. astronaut uh, ready room and in the elevator, <laughs> we kind of just like looked at each other. We're like, what did we just do? And there were definitely tears at that moment. It's okay. um, that. And then when I, hugging my family, when I came back down to earth and you know, my mom was at the flight, which was really important for me, my my wife and my daughter. And so there were definitely some more tears. Most of those were on their side, but uh, there were a lot of tears. There were waterworks for sure.
0: Good. Hey, well, for your mom, I can only imagine, again, as you talk about the sacrifice she made. um, and, and now you feel it with your daughter, not to push, but to support, to inspire. She must have been uh, in space with you. She's definitely out out of this world, and I hope that was uh, a culmination of everything. Watching her son accomplish so much and become a part of history. Um, what what do you, what do you say to you know the young Americans right now watching you saying, "Yeah, that's that's great," but I, you know, I can't do it. Um, you know, I'm in mean, I'm in a a different demographic. The odds are that it's just not in the cards for me. Somebody who's who's just who's filled with self doubt. But has the capability. What, what do you say to them?
1: I'd say, you know, it's important to find your passions and, and find things that excite you and whatever they may be, because when times get tough, you're going to have to dig deep on that excitement, that motivation, that passion to push you through the hardship. And so if you're applying your efforts to something that maybe your heart isn't really in, then it's going to be significantly harder to really get through it. Uh, I also say, set big, audacious, hairy goals. I call them impossible dreams because if you set a really high bar for yourself, then it's the journey that gets interesting and not necessarily the destination. And so, yeah, if you dream impossible enough, there really are no limits to what you can accomplish. And if you happen to achieve the impossible, then you've achieved the impossible. If you don't, then you've gone further than anybody has ever gone before. So some of the best career advice I got was um early in my career when I was an engineer at Bell and someone said to me uh, he had happened to be the CEO of Textron and so we yeah. asked him like how did you get to where you were he started as an engineer and ended up as the CEO of a conglomerate and so his advice was you know he never really looked around for what his next climbing of the ladder would be. He just kept his head down, did really good work and focused on being the best that he could be at any given moment at any given time. And then from there, opportunities start to come. And so what I add on top of that experience is as long as you're surrounding yourself with, with good people and you work hard and you put in the work and you push yourself, then opportunities will come to you and then you just have your pick to see if the next step aligns with what your goals are, what your dreams are. And so, yeah, between surrounding yourself with good people and working hard, I think that's that's the big thing, understanding what your motivations and what your dreams and your passions are.
0: Chewy, if I had a bigger audience, we would, we would literally capture that piece right there and make it viral. Uh, amen. You're a walking <laughs> testament to that. Um, Thank you. It's you know I I like to surround myself with people one that are better than me uh, because they push me but two I always say they have a mindset of making the seemingly impossible possible Uh, and I get to go along for the ride always the bridesmaid never the yeah the bridesmaid. Um, Chewy, can you give give us any insight to the next launch? What's coming up for Virgin Galactic or right now is a close hold.
1: Well, you know uh, now that we're flying uh, the spaceship Unity uh we're, we're looking to fly the vehicle uh, on a regular cadence so you know, we're targeting monthly flights right now and then you know going forward in the future and you know, i mentioned we're trying to scale up with our delta class spaceship mm-hmm. so that's really what we're looking forward to is um, showing the world that we can fly to space regularly and then we're working on scaling that up and doing it uh, in a big way with our delta class spaceship
0: well i'm excited to watch uh Chui, i can't thank you enough for uh, for joining us uh, and I can't thank uh, Virgin Galactic enough for having us out to watch uh, the Galactic 2 uh, mission. Uh, it was almost like a, uh, a milestone in my life just to be there and, and experience firsthand. So thank you.
1: <laughs> You're welcome. And I think it's awesome that you got to experience the flight in person. Can I just ask, because I remember the moment when it first happened to me, when you were looking up and you saw the rocket motor light and, you know, the boost part of the mission happened. How did that feel?
0: i looked at will uh who's uh, one of my partners and i said what they must be feeling right now um but just it, the the fact that it was so visible from the ground uh i was happy for for you know the the whole crew uh again secretly jealous but man I, like i wanted to be there with them but um just watching them do it you you know i, I i've learned to take a lot of pleasure and gratitude and watching other people accomplish amazing things. And when you find gratitude and joy in that, it almost becomes like your own. I don't know. I, uh, you know, I didn't know any of the astronauts on this mission, but just getting to to sense the team, I, I felt like part of history as well.
1: That's amazing. I, I like that as a lesson too. learning to take gratitude from watching others happiness. I think that's a really
0: fulfilling way. So I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. I, I appreciate the question as well. So, uh, everyone, where, where can people follow you? Are you on Instagram? I know Virgin Galactic, but you personally, so that people can follow your, your career and your, uh, your accomplishments.
1: Yeah. Um, I'm mostly on Instagram, but you can follow me on all of the major channels at, at
0: Astro Chewy. So A S T R O C H U I E. Okay. We will drop that in the, uh, the article, the podcast as well. Again, Chewy, thanks for, uh, for joining us and for everyone, Thanks for listening. If you have time, go to your preferred podcast platform. Like, review, it helps us. That's how we learn. Uh, Even the most candid reviews, we'll take them on board and we'll improve our show. All right, guys, we'll see you next time.
1: Thank you, Mike.